Hey guys, this is your host Joshua speaking. Here to announce a very important, exciting episode with Gary Stewart, the head of the C.S. Lewis Institution branch in Charlotte. We recorded this over the phone with Tiberius, Tiberius 1, which is his name. He's not here to dispute it, unless it's true. Um, unfortunately, Tiberius's part got cut out of the audio when I went back over it, um, which led for interesting edits. So unfortunately, you're not going to get to hear the sound of TJ's soothing voice, but you will get to hear some really important stuff from Gary Stewart about what the C.S. Lewis Institution is doing here in Charlotte, as well as around the world. Um, TJ and I thought that it was really important that you guys get to hear this, and we still were able to present you with what Gary Stewart had to say. So unfortunately, no TJ, lots of edits, but here it is. Really great episode that I hope you guys all enjoy hearing Gary Stewart and what else is going on with their work around the world today. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, your favorite church unity podcast, probably. If you want to hear from pastors, professors, and everything in between, right, sure. And, you know, the occasional train talk. Right, right, yeah. Uh, have we got the podcast for you? All right, welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Knoll, and here's your co-host, Tiberius Warren. <laughs> All right, and uh, our guest today, we have a uh, Mr. or we still we still call you Pastor, I guess, Gary Stewart. Yeah, they, you don't need to call me Pastor anymore. But right, that's okay. just Mr. Stewart. All right, then he's uh, with the C.S. Lewis Institute in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is uh, I, I was gonna say it's where we're recording from. We're I think technically in Fort Mill, yes, South Carolina, Fort Mill Indian Land. My, my GPS was really confused. Technically Indian Land, yeah, right. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. We usually like to start with an icebreaker question, just kind of uh, something silly to kind of get the flow going a little bit. And uh, today's, well, I think TJ has, has today's. Joshua, again, I uh, just wanted you guys to know, the silly question was, who is your favorite pirate or privateer? TJ's answer was Sir Francis Drake, because they're that's his long-lost ancestor, and they're both short. It's more complicated than that, but that's what he said. Yeah, we actually uh, kind kind of as a kind of as a joke, kind of not have been talking about uh We've actually wanted to get tattoos of our favorite uh, pirate flags before. Oh, really? Just uh, I'm really into pirate and privateer history, and uh, so, so you're asking my favorite pirate, pirate or privateer? Well, let me tell you something. Now I'm going to change a little bit of genre with you. My favorite pirate is Roberto Clemente. Because I'm from Pittsburgh originally, so so they're Pittsburgh Pirates. And, uh, All right, <laughs> I, I think that counts. <laughs> I uh, I have to go with uh, Captain Henry Morgan, just because uh, his history with um, I mean I, I don't want to get the country wrong, but uh, his European Civil War he ended up on the wrong side of that because a lot of his family were part of. Uh, the kind of the English church, which was uh, attacking them. And uh, in, in the war, he ended up being marooned and kind of forced into piracy or privateering just to kind of not stay marooned. Because it was right when they were founding, you know, still kind of getting the colonies together in America. And that's where he started Tortuga and his own little kind of empire there. It was just interesting how, you know, they tried to maroon him and leave him and his whole family turned around and he was like, you know what? I'm just going to start an empire. <laughs> uh, 
Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Really, really interesting history. <laughs> yeah, n- none of us picked an actual pirate. Yeah, that, that is correct. <laughs> the C.S. Lewis Institute is a Christian organization devoted to helping the local church with discipleship. And so the Institute offers life-changing discipleship um, in terms of different programs, but it also offers a lot of materials and things that you can get online for free. And from pretty some, some pretty well-known authors, like, uh, just to use an example, J.I. Packer. Um, but there are other all kinds of uh, materials, things on, on, online. But the, 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 the real thing about the C.S. Lewis Institute which started in 1976, was its intent to help people who really wanted to grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ in a very uh, intentional way. So it gives them uh, a type of situation and environment using uh, what we call our fellows program. I was uh, mentioning this before to Joshua, but the fellows program per se has a, is, is a year long discipleship program in which people from various denominations and groups who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not necessarily, and, and we don't really want brand new believers involved with this because we think the local church does a, a fairly good job many times with new believers, but these are people who have been established believers probably for a little while who just want to grow deeper, that feel like they need a deeper walk with the Lord. And so it's a year-long discipleship program, Use an example, that is a pretty high commitment type of thing. But it's for people who are are working other types of disciplines in their normal jobs and and have families and so forth like that. So we we, we involve. So like this year, we probably have four or 500 people across 16 cities um, involved with this type of, of, of situation. We offer other types of materials, such as uh, we're heavily into apologetical type of things. So we have an apologetic study that people can do in their churches or in small group settings that is 10 weeks long. That's a separate type of thing. We have a children's program. It's Aslan Academy type of thing. It's developed to help. Uh, Actually, that is not so much directly for children. It's to help parents disciple their, their kids. And so that's another thing we do. Um, and so, and, and then we have, like I said, a myriad of all kinds of uh, interesting articles on various uh, biblical and theological and apologetical issues that's online that people can go to and they can access and listen to or read or download or whatever they want to do with it. But the whole intention is to help the local church to be involved in that discipleship process and to be an assistance to them. But like I said, it goes across denominational lines. So we could have people from various backgrounds involved in the program. Um, as, as long as they generally agree with the uh, the doctrinal statement that we have, which is pretty orthodox, and um, we're okay with that. We don't we don't get into try to get into church distinctives on certain issues and stuff like that. It's more of a, of a focus on a, on a biblical topic um, over a year, and uh, so. It, it's been really a good thing, um, you know, for a lot of people over the years that have done it, and uh, it continues to grow. And so we just started it here in Charlotte. Uh, it's actually a restart. We started. They started it a few years ago. I didn't. I wasn't involved with it, but 
the director uh, initially on got had a lot of health issues and he really couldn't continue on with it, so it kind of got paused or in a paused situation. And they asked me last year if I'd consider starting it up this year. So that's what we're doing. Did I answer your question? <laughs> well, because we're great admirers of C.S. Lewis in terms of his commitment to Christ, his commitment to um, speaking on biblical issues in a very practical way, uh, all the writings he had are very Christian, are very uh, Christian based, uh, Christ following. Uh, we're not trying to make disciples of this C.S. Lewis, but we're trying to make people like him. And that's one of our things. We're trying to make 10,000 10, people like him who had the same um, same desire to impact his you know, the culture in which he lived at the time. And during World War II, he was very instrumental in, in a lot of that. And a lot of his writings are, have impacted a lot of people, even people who aren't Christians, uh, who don't profess to be Christians, have uh, read a lot of C.S. Lewis. So that that's why. And, and, and I was telling Joshua a little while ago that that one of the founders of the C.S. Lewis Institute was actually a very close friend of C.S. Lewis and was in a Bible was in, in a Bible study with him when he was a younger man, uh, and uh, Jim Houston is his name, and so he's up in his uh, 80s or 90s now. But but he was instrumental along um, with a few other guys to get the C.S. Lewis Institute started um, in 1976, and it has grown ever since. So yeah, and I know. I actually know the institute because of um, they had some of the some guys visit my college, Charleston Southern, okay. from the C.S. Lewis Institute, and uh, one of them was Jerry Root, and he writes a lot of books yep. about C.S. Lewis's beliefs and kind of compacts them into a more, I guess, a modern version of the argument. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's good. That's good, Josh. Yeah, I, I just thought it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of how I stumbled on onto you. That's <laughs> right. The websites and everything. Yeah. yeah. I, um, well, we encourage of, people to go onto the website, and the, when I meet people, I give them my card, but I say, here, the website is listed on here. Just go on the website and look at it. You know, even if they're not interested in particularly what we are doing, we're interested in, in, in helping the local church and, 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 and individual believers to, to really grow in their faith. And so that's there. If they want to go, they can go on the website. They don't have to be part of the C.S. Lewis Institute to use that, that material. No. Just to backtrack a little bit, yep. you know, we kind of jumped in. I was just excited to talk about it all, but um, some about yourself. You used to be a pastor as well, right? Yes. Um, in another chapter of my life, I was a pastor for 12 years. Uh, after six years of seminary and two seminary degrees, um, I pastored in Pittsburgh uh, and uh, enjoyed that and just felt after 12 years that I'd given enough time that I, that wasn't the best fit for me. And so I left the pastorate. Uh, this was back, uh, way back in the dark ages of 1993. And uh, got involved back in business, which uh, my undergraduate was in accounting and so forth. And so I got involved in, in doing a lot of uh, business stuff for the last 28 years, but still stayed actively involved in my local churches in three different major cities. Um, but the thing that challenged me about the C.S. Lewis Institute was my daughter and her husband, uh, live in D.C., and they were involved in it, and she told me, you need to take a good look at this because you are have a, have a heart for discipleship, and that's what this is all about. And so I did. I took a look at it and was really impressed by by uh, <clears throat> by what it offers. And so uh, um, now that I am, uh, quote, retired, 
from my business job, uh, which I just recently did. Um, I'll be quite honest with you, I'm 70 years old. Um, so I thought for the last chapter of my life, I've been praying for the last couple of years that God would give me something useful to kind of commit my life to and just do. And so that's why I think it's worthwhile. And I'd like to see it uh, established in Charlotte. But I'm, we're just my wife and I and, and a bunch of uh, my pastors and some other friends of mine are praying that that we can establish this to help the local church. And that's that's kind of where, where, where we're at with it. Awesome. Well, we'd love to pray with you guys. You know, maybe not on air, but you know, we'll. I add it to my my prayer list. We we picked up a few different times for my prayer stuff throughout a uh, different podcast stuff. Just Good. learning. Appreciate that. Honestly, learning what's going on in Charlotte's been fascinating. You know, outside of everything else that we do, just we've done a few different churches in Charlotte. It's just like wow, it's crazy how much just goes on in one city. Yeah. And, uh, God's really great. Over great city. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. But uh. While we're backtracking, uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon. But <laughs> we usually do that at the very beginning. We just forgot. So I just uh, do that really quick. But uh, yeah, so our next actual question was, um, how does, you, you talk about the fellowship program, and that seems to be what you're most passionate about within C.S. Lewis Institute. Uh, how does that program help disciple believers who come from denominations who are fundamentally different? Uh, we were talking before the podcast about uh how, you know, a lot of more recent episodes we've talked about how different people believe differently, even about the Bible. Mm-hmm. So how can you disciple people who have such fundamentally different stances? Well, like I said, I mean, I think a lot of people may not, if they read the doctrinal statement of the C.S. Lewis Institute, which again is very orthodox, it, it fits in the most uh, evangelical church situations, Um they may not want, they may not see it as an important thing, but we, we see it as we, without the scriptures. And, and the, one of the main things that comes out of the New Testament is, in fact, the Great Commission is that Jesus' final words to us was to make disciples of all nations. And that's what C.S. Lewis is about. So we're not trying to exclude anybody, but we realize by our very commitment to, to what we're talking about in the scriptures that some people would say, this is not what I want to do. And we understand that. We're not trying to do that. We're, we're just trying to be faithful disciples of Christ um, as, as it's uh, pictured in the scriptures and particularly in the New Testament. And we're trying to be uh, faith, faithful to him and making disciples and encouraging people in that way. Uh, we're not even trying to make people followers of the C.S. Lewis Institute per se. We want them to be uh, we hope this will equip them better to go back into their local churches and local communities and neighborhoods and workplaces and have more of a, of a, of a, of a dynamic impact where they feel better equipped to be able to handle life, and particularly in this, uh, this culture in which we live, which is, uh, which is very difficult for a Christian to live sometimes. Okay. Yeah, you're talking about the Great Commission, and um, I actually had it open to that just in my Bible because I know... Um, when I talk to you on the phone, trying to make this, we're talking a lot about discipleship, and and a lot, one of, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. I'm trying to figure out how to word that. Is that but Luke Acts, you know, same author wrote wrote the whole thing, and how at the end of Luke, when he gives the Great Commission, and also in the beginning of Acts, the the Greek word when he says gathering, he says, you know, we gathered them together. It, the English kind of they translate either gathered or gathering because they have a hard time with it because Jesus said, "I gathered and continue to gather." It's like a a part civil that we don't really have in English. Mm-hmm. And I find that very interesting because that's that's sort of what you guys do. It's 
Yes, we gathered. C.S. Lewis had his Bible studies, and we're just going to keep doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep discipling. And that continuation of discipling is very fundamental just to even the Gospels. And that's what you were talking about. And the other thing about that is uh, we equip people, and we're, we're interested a lot of times in what people end up doing a lot of times with some of the training and, and, and the emphasis that we we uh, we have here. Is that like I, I, I've known a friend, and in fact, he lives in the Charlotte area now, and he's involved with us in terms of, of the C.S. Lewis Institute, and he participated originally in Atlanta. And uh, when he finished the training there, he ended up going into the local prisons somewhere in South Carolina. And I, I can't remember exactly the, 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 the real details of this, but he ended up going in and meeting with uh, and meeting with prisoners, a lot of the prisoners who, and he went through the Chronicles of Narnia with um, with a lot of these prisoners a number of times through that, that next year or so. I think before he got married and got a lot of really busy, but um, he said he had a number of neat times to be able to share his faith through the chronic, reading the Chronicles of Narnia with a lot of these prisoners. And he said it was just a really dynamic uh, thing, but he said he probably wouldn't have done that if he wouldn't have been challenged by the C.S. Lewis Institute to, to, to use his gifts and to use where God has planted him to be able to be involved in that way. Yeah, I don't think that's the, the goal. There's no, uh, we don't have uh, goals per se in terms of that. We may have individual cities, um, obviously, maybe set some goals of what they would like to see in terms of people participating. But we don't want to lose the uh, the uniqueness of the quality of what we're trying to do. This is trying to deal not with information. It's not trying to indoctrinate people. It's trying to deal with both the heart and the mind. So, Sometimes I can say to people, when I went to seminary for six years and got two master's degrees, a lot of that was intellectual, a lot of that was mental, okay? That's something I could fill my mind with. It didn't necessarily always touch my heart. And God wants to touch our heart because he wants to live through us and he needs to change our hearts. So he gives us a new heart when we come to Christ. And the Holy Spirit continues to work in our hearts to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And when he gives us that new heart, that's what we want this balance between. So in the thing we do, and it's not just informational, we challenge people in terms of their personal lives and where they are. And we want to encourage them to think about and to pray about issues in their life and to really see dynamically how Christ, God can live through them in a dynamic way where God has put them. They don't have to quit. You know, if they really get serious about God, they don't have to quit their job and, you know, go to seminary or go to types of training. They can do this type of thing and see how God is using them in a dynamic way where they are and in, in impacting other people for Christ. And that's that's our one of our main focuses. So we don't have a goal, though, like you said, TJ. We don't say, well, how many how many people we get to the 10,000? That's just kind of a saying that we want to make sure people say we're not we're not making disciples of C.S. Lewis. We're just trying to follow his example. And he lived in a situation where a lot of people told him, you don't get, don't take this too seriously, you know. And so one of his best friends said to him, why are you so strong? You're not a theologian. You're not a pastor. He said, when the pastors begin to speak these truths to their congregations, I'll stop doing this. And so those those are the kind of things that we're committed to. We realize we live in a, gener- a, a, a culture 
in a world in which needs a strong impact of Jesus Christ in it. And that's why we, we, without apology, we don't stand away from the Bible and say it's something else. We believe it's the Word of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit and dwelling believers. We believe in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That's the dynamic of it. And so even for me at my age, I said, that's what I want to pass the baton on to my next generation. I have seven children, seven adult children. Two, Five of them are, are my own. Two come from my, my second marriage when my, my first wife passed away. But my point is, is, is I want to pass on to them as well as others the baton that Christ is the answer to our deepest needs in life. And uh, so so we don't have, so C.S. Lewis, going back to your original question, C.S. Lewis doesn't have a goal like that at 10,000. I think that's just kind of a saying. We're, we're not trying to build disciples of C.S. Lewis. We're just trying to follow his example. You know, you were talking about um, how C.S. Lewis said when the pastor starts speaking these truths, then, then I'll stop it. Well, one thing I find interesting, you make disciples like C.S. Lewis, and one of the Coolest things about his books, which usually TJ gets upset. I talk about C.S. Lewis a lot, just all the time. Just he's my favorite. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, one of the things I love is that a lot of his books. I, I, I'm, I had almost wagered to say most of his books that I've read. In his uh, intro, he'll throw in there something about how, like, you know, uh, I'm no pastor or theologian, so I can't talk about it in this way. But what I can say is this, and mm-hmm. it's like. It's crazy to me how, almost how little he thought of himself. Like, he started a lot of the books off with just kind of a, I don't really know much about this, so I can only talk on a surface level. And then he'd go on and say stuff that's, you know, kind of impacted me in such a way that it's where I built my faith off of a lot of his writings. And I'm like, wow, this guy didn't even, you know, he wasn't seminary. He didn't think of himself as, you know, a leader of the church, but... He really, really impacted a lot of people in that way. And mm-hmm. I think it would be really cool to make disciples like that, who were just normal members of the church, making that kind of impact, but still thought that little of themselves. Yeah, you know, he had a lot such of a humble way. Yeah. Um, really cool humility in that way. And one of the things about C.S. Lewis, he thought that people would quickly forget him after he died. That he his work, but his his works have lived on. It's, it's a generation, a couple of generations now. You know, so that's good. Well, yeah, I don't think I don't think his writings are going going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> well, um, since we're so so new in this um, this year, uh, we have a we have a pilot group of um, what I call a pilot group. I mean, by some people that said they would like to do the fellows program this year. And so we have started, we started in June and we just went through our retreat last week in, in conjunction. We, we met also with, uh, Greenville, um, South Carolina, their, their, their fellows group. And so there was about 25 of us and, um, we, we, we had a it, the weekend is not that the retreat is designed for people to spend a lot of their time with one another. So, uh, I spent time with, three other guys, and we spent a good bit of that weekend just talking about our spiritual journeys, where God has, where God touched our lives and where he brought us through. So we talked about that, and, and, and we, we also talked about things about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, because some of the topics that they read in June, July, and August, which was pretty heavily, uh, they, they spent a lot of time reading, 
was on what 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 it means by biblical grace. Um, the second um, month is uh, what is uh, what does it mean by true conversion. The third month is what it means to be follower of Jesus Christ. So we spent some time talking about that. But the, the retreat is designed that way. And what I see is we're not looking in. Uh, the thing is that we're going to have we we will have events from time to time. We'll bring in maybe uh, we're, we're planning on in the future of hoping to bring in some keynote speakers to be able to speak to the church world, you know, and have, have invite a lot of churches to come say like, a, if you're familiar with Oz Guinness or uh, maybe some, some, uh, some people to work with um, Robbie Zacharias's groups uh, and, and so forth. Cause they're heavily involved with some of the things we do. We have a lot of them speak for, for certain events, but our, our key thing is to me is to see how this impacts the individual's, who are involved, like with the fellows program right now. So what I see in some of these individuals um, that are involved right now, they're coming back and saying, you know, I've been a Christian for all my life or most of my life, and I have really been challenged by what I've been reading and thinking about and praying about and being involved with these other believers has just really been dynamic. Because what I always say is there's no pressure that you're involved in a in a church context or some other context like that, you, you probably would have never met some of these other people before, but now you're involved together in this um, this relationship for a year in which you are studying and, and reading and praying about things, and you're working together through this, and it's 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 pretty dynamic. Uh, so the impact that I see right now with C.S. Lewis is on these individuals that are involved in this program. Next year, I'm hoping that it will get a little bigger, so that um, we'll be able to um, to be able to see other people involved. And I've already had a lot of people tell me they're very interested in looking into it. And I've looked at it and said, I have, I have a number of people said next year they want to do it again, so or do it next year. So what's going to be good about that is uh, this is going to grow in a slow slow capacity, and I'm okay with that personally. So I I enjoy what I get a big thrill out of is just to see God working in somebody's heart and mind. Not the way necessarily I always think. I'm always interested in, in reading their what their response papers, which they write each month, because they, they kind of show where, they're, where they've grown and where their heart is and, and how things are going. And to me, that's really the dynamic of it. That's that's where I get my thrill out of it. It's not, you know, as, as a pastor... Some pastors say, well, I get a thrill out of standing in front of, uh, you know, hundreds of people. I, I preached at a church that had 500 people. The point was, a lot of those people, I didn't have a clue where they were spiritually, even if they knew the Lord or if they knew the Lord where they were going. In this type of situation here, we're really zeroing in on people who say, I want to grow deeper in Christ. And so far, I have I just feel like I'm stalled out. I feel like I'm just coasting at this point in my life. That's the dynamic I see happening, even with the, the pilot group right now that we have going with the people here, just seeing their reaction to what, what how their involvement is. I'm not saying anything to do that. I'm just seeing that the whole environment kind of builds that, and that's what's exciting about where I see what is happening. That Again, it's not in numbers. It's in the quality of what's happening within those individuals. Yeah, it's a lot more relationship-based. Kind of backtrack a little bit. Again, but uh, you, you mentioned a couple times, um, you know, we asked about uh, how people from different beliefs kind of be, are able to fit into this. And the uh, you said you said you had a statement of belief. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what what is that? Do you have it memorized or somewhere? No, because it's it? a longer statement, but it's it's pretty orthodox in terms of the, um, you know, um, the, the the God that God is in the Trinity, um, the Scriptures that they are the the uh, you know the uh, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Um, that the local church is God's instrument to use to use to you know to um, to spread the gospel. Um, so they're pretty basic, pretty 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 I pretty orthodox. When I first read it a year or two ago uh, to read it over before they interviewed me to see if I would be the right person to do this, I didn't have any problem with any of the, their their doctrinal statements. So they would. Um, they, it, it's it's a pretty orthodox uh, thing, and uh, so, but again, uh, across the church community, uh, possibly, uh, if you if you widen that even into the cults, we're, we're not somebody who's in, say, like a Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that. They're not going to be interested in what we're doing uh, because we're pretty orthodox Christianity. Um, so, you know. But but it, it, it is a pretty strong conservative doctrine. But it, it doesn't get into things like eschatology or baptism or things like that. Even though we think those things are important for, we don't get into those types of things because different churches hold, you know, like infant baptism or adult baptism or believers baptism, those types of issues. We don't try to uh, to talk about those. We just say that. In obedience, everybody, every true believer ought to be baptized. And so that may take different forms depending upon, you know, what type of church they're coming from. Interesting. Interesting. So it's a kind of a program for the whole church. Kind yeah. Of <laughs> we don't try to get into the, to, to yeah. the doctrinal issues, you know, that type of thing. It's not, it's not geared that way. But, you know, a lot of the readings you will have are very, uh, very strong conservative Orthodox views. Right. So... The um, well, yeah, before I go to the next question, just just because I, I know we were talking about it earlier, and I don't know if anybody who does listen to this might be interested in the program, but um, it's the fellows program for the C.S. Lewis Institute. They can find that just right there on the website. What's what's the website? The website is is uh, they could just C- Google it's www.cslewisinstitute.org. Uh, okay, and and everything's right there on that um. And you said for this program, it's sort of, um, it's not really age-oriented, right? No. I mean, it's not for the, young children, obviously, no, I guess. No, no. Effectively, the fellows program is really geared for people, say, right right out of college or something like that. It's usually a uh, person's 23 or 24, you know, on the lower end. And then we've got people all the way up into their 80s and stuff involved with various forms of it. Uh, a lot of these people, after they do the fellows program, they're involved in the mentoring aspects of it or small group type aspects. So we that's one of the things. I'm, I look at myself as the facilitator of this. I'm trying to keep people involved with it and, and, and meet with them and, and, and so forth. I have a board of, uh, of advisors who keep you know me honest, so to speak, or to keep me on target. And uh, so, so our goal is to get as many people involved in this, and people will be in and out of it, you know, in terms yeah. of their their time commitments and so forth, like that. It, but it, it it helps everybody to feel part, which I think is as as a former pastor, I feel very strongly that we are supposed to be training people to do the work of ministry. It's not just the ministry that 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 
totally is for the advantage of the local church. We need to, to build the type of people, particularly in a culture in which people move quite oftenly, often, that they would be able to move and still have feel that they have they have a vision of ministry in which they can be involved in other people's lives that they when they walk into their congregation it's not just what happens up in the the pulpit and and the platform so to speak it's their ministry one to another that they will reach out to people within the pew or in the in the, uh, the congregation so to speak and they see that I am here to minister to other people and, and to get to know them and encourage them and to pray for them and that's the kind of thing that I think is can be dynamic with this type of thing that will help develop people with that kind of mindset. Yeah, it makes me think of, I was trying to find it. I know it's um, Ephesians 4 and 5. Ephesians 4, yeah. Yeah, 425 is the verse I think I was looking for. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. We are members of one another. Mm-hmm. So it's um, just exactly what you're talking about. Not just the pulpit to the lay people, but to one another. We're speaking truth. We're meeting together. We're having these Bible studies. And I think that's exactly what the Bible calls for. It's actually what Paul calls for. Um, the entire book of Ephesians is what is the church. And uh, that's what Paul has to say about it. So I think that's great. Um, you know, I was getting at is, uh, you're talking about who this is for, the fellowship is for. It's um, you, you said people usually right outside of college all the way up into their 80s. I remember you said earlier, it's like about six to eight hours out of your week, which is pretty extensive, but not to the point where it cripples someone's life. Like you can keep doing your work, be married, do all your stuff, and still do that. And maybe it's for people who want to go deeper in their faith without, you know, breaking the bank for seminary. They just want to be able to get deeper and not, right? Yeah, be able to go on with life at the same time. Exactly. With that, how can uh, this type of discipleship? How do you think that can help with unity for the whole church across denomination and everything? Well, um, like I said, I was. Just using my example, I'll just use my example. First of all, start with the fact that when I was a pastor, we had in the church I was involved with with other staff members. We had 500 people at the time. This was back in the 1980s. The point was is that we 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 had to come to the conclusion there was no way that we were going to meet the needs of all 500 people that, that that came to the church. That what we were looking for was we were encouraging people in a sense to become part of the 12. In other words, what we're doing is that Jesus talked to the multitudes, but he didn't put his trust and his faith in those multitudes. He didn't try to to um, to recruit the multitudes. That wasn't the measurement of his ministry. The measurement of Jesus's ministry was in those 12 guys. And he was encouraging them and challenging them to go on in their walk with him and to follow him. And that's the same type of thing I've told, you know, as a pastor, I said, we came to the conclusion of just wanting to encourage people not to be kind of mediocre or not even sure where they are in their faith with Christ. We want them to be more and more committed to know that they are true followers of Christ and Christ wants to use their lives in significant ways. And that's that's really where we are with a lot of this and a lot of churches have to admit that they have may have may have multitudes coming. Okay, that's not the measure of how successful the church is. If there was a general persecution, a lot of those people were probably scattering and and not be not be willing to claim the name of Christ. A lot of people go to church because they're looking for something, but they want to be challenged on in personal ministry. That's what my belief is. My belief is not just to be observers to audit the course, so to speak. 
to come into a congregation and listen to a message a week in and week out, but they really don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to grow deeper, and they need that personal. Christianity, it's relationships. It's relate. That's how Jesus spent time with the 12 for three years. He didn't try to deal with the multitudes, okay? But that's, that's the way I see the pastor a lot of times, and I encourage a lot of pastors to say, we can help you in that whole development scheme if you, if, if you would encourage some of your some of your people to think about that you think would be good candidates for something like a fellows the fellows program. We can help them, and they'll come back even better equipped, better to help you in the process of this congregational type of situation. And that's what I see is is important because, yeah, some big churches have all kinds of programs where they can they can say we can meet some of these needs, but a lot of churches aren't big, so a lot of churches are smaller congregations. They don't have the resources to be able to do that. And so we think this fits into a tool, which I want to strongly say that. It's a tool for the local church to say, that is useful to me to be able to use that type of group that they're trying to help us become more effective in our discipleship uh, approach. So not a supplement for the church, but a complement for the church. Complement, yes. Well, one of the things you're going to find is, uh, being a pastor, is that you have a lot of... uh, People come into your church uh, with different types of ministries and the parachurch type ministries. And pastors get a little suspect of that because they think, well, so so their attitude sometimes, maybe they might, might not say it this way, but their attitude is, so what do you want from us? You want more, you want our, some of you want our people to give into the, your, your ministry and you want to take our people. Well, we're not, we're not trying to. To, to do that. If we borrow people for a year because of this intensive type of discipleship ministry was an example, um, that might be with, with the benefit that these people are going to come back even more committed to, to the local church. The other thing is we can also offer these other other programs, which uh, we can, or materials actually, they can take the 10-week uh, instant, there's a, an apologetics course that's practical Art of the sharing, they can use in a Sunday school or small group type situation. Like I said, they can have this Aslan Academy, which teaches parents how to how to deal with parenting issues in terms of uh, discipling their kids. And then there's the um, uh, a couple others. There, there's a there's a ten week discipleship program that the churches can use in terms of a small group or in a Sunday school type of context that can be very helpful. And that that's just material that they can use. We can we can show them how to use it if they want. Um, there's no. no cost to any of that other than the, the, to purchase the material online. You can get to the books and so forth. But it, there, there are resources there for people to use, and that, that's what we're trying to trying to emphasize. Kind of equip the church. Okay, and then um, kind of our last question then really is, what uh, what can what practically can individuals in a church do? Um, John Smith goes to my church, let's say. Um, what can he do to, you know, either help the institute or be better with discipleship for this whole kind of? Um, sounds like discipleship might be the key to unity, as far as we're talking about this kind of stuff. What can a regular person do? I mean, Vince, the fellows program's already started. Can he get this material for his pastor and volunteer to do a Bible study, or what would you suggest? Sure. I mean, that, that's, that's if he just goes online, he can see there's all kinds of resources and material on there that he can look at, and um, 
and use and buy, or so a lot of it is free. So there's a lot of articles, and but the, these courses here have a have a booklet with them, which he could get that and 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 begin to talk maybe his pastor. Um, the other thing we we encourage is uh, we encourage, uh, and this happens a lot, helps a lot with uh, certain churches. My my own church is uh, considering, uh, in fact, very strongly considering doing this. Um, we we train individuals how to deal in kind of a triad of discipleship. In other words, uh, we're not trying to start a class on discipleship. We're not trying to uh, start uh, a program on discipleship per se. What we're saying is that every church ought to be equipping their people that they're helping each other in that way. So you're taking, like using an example, if if you're John Smith, you talked about in your church, if he's been a Christian for 20 years, my thing is, so how have you grown in 20 years? And what is God showing you that you need to be doing that helps the body in that growth concept uh, process? And that, to me, is the real critical thing. We have a lot of people who basically come and attend worship services, and maybe they are involved in some of the programs or like the Sunday school teachers or their ushers or they're in, if, if they have a choir or an, uh, a worship team or those types of things. And they're fine and dandy. I look at those as a lot of service things in which we help the body when it's gathered. But there are other ministries in which, a discipleship ministry in which I want to challenge older people that have been Christians a while to say, God wants to use you to maybe disciples some of these younger people in your congregation. And that's the dynamic in which I think what we're trying to do, to develop a mindset of people saying, God has called me into this process of discipleship in which I can use who I am and what my background is and what my experiences are, and I can take the scriptures too, and I can work with some other younger people or other people to help them to grow. And that, to me, when I was a pastor and I began to teach pastors, or uh, excuse me, a lot of my men particularly in my congregation, they all of a sudden saw a whole new dynamic of how God was using their lives to impact others. It wasn't just the pastors that had that opportunity. They had been trained and encouraged and taken through, and they did the same thing of training others. And they just came back with excitement about the fact is how they saw God working through that, those other people's lives that they were working with. And that's what I think is is really what we're one of the things we're trying to encourage here. So making disciples who make disciples. Yes. So the most practical thing then for John Smith, you know, he has if he needs materials, he has the materials. But the most practical thing he could do is find little Joey at his church and mentor him. Right. Awesome. awesome. A lot of people don't think they can do that, but if you, uh, in the case of the work we're just starting in my church, is the fact is that we're going to start where I'm going to I'm going to take two younger guys and tr- and I'm going to spend time in a triad with them, and it's just going to be a, an ongoing relationship together, and that's not going to be a disciple or to disciplee. I'm going to train. I'm going to train them in the sense of we are fellow believers together. Yes, I probably have been a Christian a lot longer than they've lived, maybe. But the point is, is that's not the issue here. The issue is I want to encourage them to see how God can work through their lives, and they will go through certain biblical concepts and t- things, and we'll get, challenge one another, and we'll pray for one another, and then partway through that, maybe that year, 
I'm going to encourage them to start praying that they might be used to, to disciple some other people, other men in that congregation in the same way. So they'll do the same thing that I did with them. They'll do it likewise, just like Jesus did. He just how he discipled the twelve is not like we would think. He didn't take them into a school context. He didn't give them a degree. He didn't do all these things. He did it in a very natural way that they came alongside him and watched him live his life and watched him teach and watched him do the things. And when he left and the Spirit came, then they were empowered to be able to do the same thing in the same way that Jesus did. Just to continue in Ephesians, it's a... 519, earlier was 425. I think I might have said it was 525. I got my post-it note over where the chapter changed and I just missed it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, earlier what I read was 425. This is 518 through 20. It uh, says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even through the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And that's where it's so much more than just speaking truth to one another. That whole discipleship thing you were talking about was mm-hmm. completely key. And it's just been a very practical episode of the podcast, I feel like. Um, but uh, I, I will just tag on to something, just a free advice for anyone listening. I think it's important that you keep saying a triad. It's a bad idea to have one-on-one in today's culture for most things. Because mm-hmm. uh, people look for ways to point evil at you with whether it's done or not. So I think the triad's a very wise idea. Yeah, I, I've done both, and and, and I, I would agree. I think there's more dynamic to the triad only because you have three individuals kind of working together and, and encouraging one another, and it's not a one-on-one type situation. So um, I, I don't I don't totally um, roll that out as an opportunity. It just depends on the circumstances, and that's where this we're, – we're, we're not – we're trying to teach – in, in principle, what you can do, so a lot of this stuff is yeah. you can you can move it across into different types of situations depending upon you know what is needed. Is doing the one on one thing. If I were a senior pastor and I had a, a junior pastor, so to speak, a youth pastor or an associate pastor or assistant pastor working with me, I would be on a one on one relationship with him, discipling him. But in most cases, this works out better in the congregation with with a yeah. triad, and I think that that's what we're trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's. Uh, C.S. Lewis. That's just a good, good time to talk about C.S. Lewis. I like how convenient this is for me. Um, I'm sure T.J. hates it, <laughs> but uh, I'm not an authority on C.S. Lewis. But go ahead. Oh, I, I just love his, his writings altogether. My favorite book is by C.S. Lewis. It's The Four Loves, and uh, okay. in it, he talks about friendship and uh, just kind of talk about the triad thing. He talks about how when. Um, you know, their friend A, B, and C, you don't just have that friend, but you also have B's part in A. Mm-hmm. B brings out a part of A that isn't there when he's not there. Right. It's like, and it's so much more than just those three people, which I think is, it's really interesting dynamic. It's, it's a good setup. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so, <laughs> just kind of off topic a little bit. I like, I like when I get to talk about C.S. Lewis. That's, uh, what, what changes will we see is practically people start doing more discipleship. What change will we see in the church? Well, I think you'll see the dynamic. I mean, I'm not saying this is attributed simply to the C.S. Lewis Institute, but we are trying to deal with what the church is trying to deal with in terms of 
we have to step back and just say, uh, over the last 50 years in, 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 in my life of being a Christian, the fact is that we used to say that the church is an inch deep and a mile wide. Now I hear pastors saying it's much even shallower than that. So my point is, is that how are we, how are we dealing with making disciples like, like Jesus wanted us to do? And how are we equipping people? And what you see the dynamic is that when people to me, again, are not just attending services, period, that they are actually involved in the process, that we are asking them to make an effort in some of these, like the C.S. Lewis thing is, we don't we don't say to everybody, we're just looking for anybody and everybody to come into our group. No, we put it out in front of you. Here's a commitment. Here's a here's a covenant we actually give. And I said, you're making this covenant to one another here in this room, all the fellows, because even though you come from various backgrounds and different denominations and so forth like that, for this year, you're going to commit yourselves to one another that you're going to spend time. And what is dynamic is that their lives in that process over time begin to change in dynamic ways that they said they've never experienced before. Give you one example. I spent this last year in the fellows program in Greenville because my wife and I participated down there to see what the fellows program was like. And we did the fellows program just as a regular person, regular fellow, not leading anything. But I did work with a retired doctor who, who who had been involved heavily in this church over the years. But he said that his family, his wife, his kids um, had all seen dynamic changes in his the way he was living life now. And he was he had he had just changed his whole perspective about how he, God could use him in unique ways. And it was just very exciting again to see that type of, of, of response. And now I know he's involved, still involved down in Greenville as a mentor. He's going to mentor some other young men. And I just think it's exciting to see his change of attitude of saying, hey, even in my retirement years, God's still going to use me. He used me as a doctor, but now he's going to use me you know, in this dynamic way. That's what I want to see. I want to see people excited about not just saying, well, I go to church and yeah, I listen to the pastor and all stuff like that. I want to see them see how God can work through their lives in unique ways. And we're just trying to help them be equipped in that way to be able to see uh, those types of issues. Um, and 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 this, this will help them do that. I'm convinced of it. That's why I've decided you know, this is what I want to spend, you know, my next chapter or so, so to speak, in life or how long God will allow me to live. But the point is, I think this is worthwhile investing in, in time and resources and everything else to be able to, to have put this resource together for the local churches. Well, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you giving me yeah. the opportunity to talk a little bit about it. Um, I'm, I'm not the, the greatest spokesman for it. Uh, like I said, I'm one of the newer cities that's up and running. You could have talked to many of the other directors in different of the major cities like Chicago or Atlanta or, or Washington, D.C. or Toronto and all those things. Those guys are Belfast, Ireland. Those guys have been doing this a while, and they are just excited about, you know, how, how they've seen God working in their their cities and so forth like that. That encourages me. So even talking about mentoring, I'm being mentored by um, – by the Chicago and, and, and Atlanta directors. You know, they, they call me a regular basis and they talk to me and, 
and hold me accountable and, and I share my where I'm struggling and where things are going on in my personal life or in, in, in what we're doing. And it's just been a, a great opportunity. So I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to, to talk about it today. I, I encourage people to go on the website. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been it's been great. It sounds like we have to do a whole tour, TJ. Man, I I have a couple. It's been a it's been a a God filled week, I would say. Um, I'm gonna go with one. Uh, I have to try and not use her name, but just because I didn't get permission, I don't think she she'd care. But uh, one one of my close mentors who I care deeply about has had a kind of a hectic year, but really busy year. And um, over the last couple of days has been able to message me and ask me something about well, one thing we do with our ministries. We go to uh, Cumberland Island, kind of like a camping trip with just a few people. It's a close discipleship kind of retreat weekend. And um, she'd been asking me a lot about that and how we're setting up this year. And I wasn't even sure she was going to be able to go because, you know, it's been such a, such a busy year for her. And it's been like three or four days in a row where I've, I've heard from her directly. And I'm like, wow, you know, it, it was at the point where maybe once a month, every other month. And I'm like, okay. I really kind of, you know, pray. I can feel in my spirit that she's coming back. You know, she's going to have the time. God's still using her. And I'm like, okay. But it's really encouraging when your mentor is kind of like, you see them go through life and still come out the other end. And you're like, oh, wow. That's right. Okay. You know, following the leader and being able to see my leader again is like, all right, this is this is what I needed. Because I, I think discipleship is really important to me. And she's been kind of my greatest mentor. So kind of having her back in the picture a little bit more is really encouraging for me. So yeah, that'll be my God moment. Okay. Um, well, one of the things I, I've seen in in um, both my local church and even involved with LSCS Lewis things um, is particularly one of the fellows in my group. It's at a pretty, pretty, um, Pretty challenging past, and we met on Tuesday, and uh, I just find it very refreshing to see how much this uh, this fellow has has grown in his faith, and he's dealing with some challenging situations in his own family with his sixteen uh, year old daughter, and and so forth, and and uh, just just to see him, his mature response. Because when I met him, I wasn't sure where he was uh, when I accepted him into the program. I thought it would be good for him, but I just see now, even even with his, he's he's he gives some very um, very wise um, responses to to life situations and the way he's dealing with his his difficult situation with his uh, his daughter and so forth. And it was just you know Tuesday. I would say I started out with kind of. A little bit, I wouldn't say depressed, but kind of like saying, Lord, I'm a little down today. And I remember finishing up uh, meeting with this fellow, and I just felt, thank you, God, because that encouraged me. Um, this this young man encouraged me, and that's really picked me up for the day, that I see that this is all worthwhile and that you're involved in our lives and you are uh, giving us uh, hope even amidst difficult, ch- challenging situations, um, and so that that was kind of one one highlight of the week for me at this point. 
in terms of, uh, and it's, it's carried on through of just my coming back and saying, Lord, um, we, we live day to day, moment by moment, by trusting you and, and letting you deal in our hearts and our minds. And we encourage one another in that way. And, and this young man did that for me on Tuesday. We've been doing this podcast kind of a kind of deaf. I can't really hear TJ. I've been uh, reading subtitles on Skype of what he's saying. According to this, he's saying, oh, 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 hey, oh. And I think he's uh, starting a song. Or our outro, one of the two. Yeah, um, it, it costs a lot to keep this podcast running. And uh, in order to be able to do such, we need help from our listeners. So if you guys, uh, even just a dollar a month, you go to patreon.com forward slash the whole church and you can support us. And we just want to say a big thanks to everyone who's already doing that. We're not able to do this without you guys, so thank you all so much. Hey guys, thank you for listening. This is your host Joshua again. Unfortunately, I had to cut the outro because, you know, me and TJ usually feed off each other. And I say, hey, this is what's up. And then he says, this is what's up. And then I say, next guest. And he says, next guest. And that doesn't really make sense without the TJ part. So I had to cut that. Just doing this for you guys. But, you know, um, of course, we still need your support any way you can. If you can't support us on Patreon, you can always follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every share you guys do saves us money on ads. So, in a way, that's just as good as supporting us on Patreon. Of course, we also need a new computer, some sound editing stuff. So, if you have that or know a way that we can get that, you can contact us and let us know. I'm hoping to get a studio one day. And I'm working on a project with some of the churches here in the Charlotte area. So you'll get to hear about that next week when I'm talking to Father Pat. So stay tuned for that. Um, He's one of our next guests. These other pastors in the Charlotte area are also some of our next guests. We have um, a pastor of the Lutheran Church, uh, Father Michael from St. Michael's Anglican Church here in Charlotte, as well as a ton of others. We're going to be visiting Wilmington and talking to Sister Rose, as well as Pastor Matt Moorhead with Crossway Church, and lots of exciting content coming up. And of course... What you guys will get to look forward to the most at the end of season one, I'll be talking to my favorite alive author. C.S. Lewis is obviously my favorite author, but my favorite alive author, Francis Chan, who doesn't know he's going to be in the podcast yet, but uh, he'll figure it out. Thank you guys for listening.